Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. I am so excited to tell you that InvestSmart and Intelligent Investor are long-term sponsors of this podcast. And here's something I want to tell you about. The Intelligent Investor Select Value Fund is a unique mix of global leaders and homegrown small caps poised for long-term growth. The portfolio manager is Nathan Bell, a talented investor you may have heard on the Rust Network multiple times. The Select Value Fund is designed for investors seeking international diversification and Aussie companies with superior financial metrics. You can invest today at intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV dash offer. That's intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV dash offer. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Drew Meredith, reporting live from downtown New York City. How are you going? Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty cooked. Been a a long, it felt like we've been away for three weeks in four days. (laughs) I think we arrived on Saturday night, it's Thursday. (laughs) I was about to say, I don't know, I'm not sure what the time zone is over there. Is it 2023 where you are? Yeah, it's 2023. Yeah. It was like 2020. 2019. No, no, no. It's 8.30 and you're, uh, it's 10.30 in the morning here. Yeah. Kept you waiting a few times this morning. That's good. That's good. I don't mind the later recording. Um, because when we record before 9am
incredible stuff here on the Australian Investors Podcast. Um, you can learn how to uh, reheat your pizzas if you're interested. But it's actually, uh, it's really interesting. Or I haven't tried your wardrobe it wardrobe as well. Yeah, you can check out your wardrobe, do whatever you want. Um, but it's a, it's a really interesting hack. So if, you've, if you do this, please uh, reach out to us and let us know. But the pressing issue of this week um, is that you have been in LA for most of this week. And right now you're recording from New York City. That's what, right. if, what on earth have you been doing? <laughs> Not a junket. A junket. Is Not a junket. We'll <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, we came over for future proof. We, I think we've been talking, on, talking about this for a while. So some of yeah. our, you know, our, uh, what would you say? Some of the people we, we don't necessarily look up to, but listen to a lot in yeah. podcasts, uh, the guys from Ritholtz Wealth Management. So they're, they run the Animal Spirits podcast mm-hmm. and the Compound Friends, which are pretty popular in Australia too. Uh, and they've done similar to what uh, Jamie and I have done, which is launched an education or a, a massive uh, advice festival event. We haven't done a festival event, but trying to bring advisors yeah. together and build a community of financial advisors. So they had about, I think, two and a half thousand people on Huntington Beach, basically in a car park that was, you saw some of the photos with mm-hmm. not just a car park, with tents and sponsors like Vanguard and Morningstar. Um, there were probably like 1,500 advisors there. Um, we caught up with... Matt Middleton, so the founder of it's called Advisor Circle, and this is called Future Proof. And his his intention is to get something like ten thousand people there. Uh, I think within five years. So uh, very new concept. So live podcasting, uh, which we're well aware of. Hopefully, I'm not in the footage anywhere. Open bars, <laughs> like the bars open at, at these stalls from about twelve o'clock onwards, or one o'clock, uh, twelve p.m. or twelve noon. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, this is probably one of the highlights. There was this. And they're saying quite proprietary, which is this one-on-one networking. So you can have pre-screened one-on-one 15-minute meetings throughout uh, about six-hour blocks during the during the event, which was quite unique. And then, yeah, obviously, Method Man and Red Man. From yeah, Method Man and Red Man pre- yeah. presenting. They've got everyone, all, all the financial advisors in the crowd doing the whole everybody in the 313 from uh, M&M 8 Mile days. Um, going a bit nuts in the mosh pit up the front, so I would never. I don't think I, I ever would have by seen. Then. Let's just disclose that I was already okay. home. Okay, so I, I I wouldn't have ever thought that you'd see all of these mostly middle-aged men and women uh, from finance getting down with um, Method Man and Red Men. I think it's just something about the age group, though. So if you think the founders of Red Alts are all like in their 40, early late thirties, early forties, yeah, and it's just those bands that were popular at the time, so they'd like. Is it G Love and Special Sauce? Yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure that's just one of their favourite bands. So it was just, and the, and like we talk about the same old jokes on our podcast all the time. Yeah, um, yeah, fair enough. And so matches what's happening at the time. So did you do um, that speed dating thing where you like sit down for 15 minutes with another financial is advisor, or, or is that because no one asked me to? <laughs> I didn't get any requests. Now Jamie had quite a few, so we did like a two-on-one. I just uh, crashed a few of his. Yeah. So the you know there were heaps of fund managers there, small, big, private equity, um, public markets, and a, a financial advisor from Australia who's running a firm in London, which was pretty oh, interesting. Well. I think it was one of the only Aussies there. Um, and uh, yeah, it was super interesting um, format. And then looked at a few, asked a few groups, you know, we've talked about Betterment um, yep. and Wealthfront and these sort of groups before uh, and asked about their intentions to come to Australia. 
What was the answer? What do you think? No. Hard no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. don't, don't look at. Don't look forward to it. So, so start making other plans. So Betterment and uh, Wealthfront, just for people that aren't aware, are like true big robo advice platforms. Um, yeah. They actually do. Advice. Yeah, they actually do what they say. They're not like these Australian quote unquote robo advisors. They're actual robo advisors. Like they do behavioral finance within the app. Like it, for example, it will stop you from making a decision based on what they believe would most likely result in, for example, tax losses based on emotional decision making and these types of things. Like it's a, they're truly advanced platforms. Uh, did you catch up with the CEO of Wealth, the former CEO of Wealthfront? Yeah, is that Adam Nash? Yeah, yeah I had a yeah. quick chat to him on, uh, I can't remember which, uh, in the afternoon. He's he's founded a group called Daffy, which is like micro-investing into philanthropy, so or not oh, or like cool. micro-donations and kind of putting those, putting rounding up your coffee order and putting it towards a donation every year. Cool. Um, that was interesting. Good to, good to understand the, what's happening in the US market. And we talked about this, the advisor circle and, Inside Network and Rask and Waddle are all about building communities, aren't they? So, mm. um, and that's what you kind of saw at Future Proof. There's no real leader. Like there wasn't someone hosting every session. There was very much, which was a pro and a con of the whole thing, which was there's no, nowhere you had to be at any given time to hear what was happening. It was a bit of a mix and a blend. Um, yep. That's kind of the difference communities and associations, isn't it? Where there's no true leader. It's the group that, that determines what happens. Was it um? Did Morgan House or kind of, in a way, kind of headlined with? Did you get the chance to see him on stage? We missed him on night one. Uh, I think we were either late or headed off early. Uh, so he he had a session hosted on on night one. I did see Animal Spirits live and Compound live. Yeah, cool. Which were good. That would have been like the ultimate fangirl yeah. moment for you. you put... I had the chance to get my selfie and I didn't do it. I was, oh. yeah, I'll regret it forever. I thought you might have like pulled down your shirt and got him to like sign your chest Sign or something. <laughs> I went close. I mean, Ben Carlson walked past me like 15 times. I just, yeah, should um, just ask. You kind of want ben, both, not just one of them. Ben, if you're listening. Um, yeah, but Shorter that's, in person. that's great, mate. <laughs> Shorter in person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, never meet you here. No, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. That's good. So um, obviously we've got a lot of questions sent through this week. Um, and so we'll try and get to those in a moment. But um, just a reminder for anyone that's watching or listening, general financial advice rules apply. We don't know your personal circumstances, your needs, goals, objectives. So as always, um, consult a licensed and trusted financial professional like say drew here from model partners financial planning it's a link in the show notes um yeah so next week actually the time that we record this next week i'll probably be on the road or actually maybe back in this very seat who knows actually i don't know if i'll still be in sydney at this time or not but um, we're going to newcastle next week i don't think you're coming to newcastle from memory but you will be in sydney i think renato's stepping in for you the honorable renato yeah, I'm, I think I'm on getting back Tuesday morning. So, if you're in Newcastle, if you're in Port Macquarie, we've turned Port Macquarie into a bit of a dinner. But um, Newcastle, the Rask Roadshow is coming up this week. So, Newcastle, if you're in or around Newcastle, get there. Um, we're going to have obviously I'll be there. Kate will be there. Um, I think we're going to have Pete Wargent. I think we're going to have Chris Bates. Um, there'll be the Global X team. There will be Glenn James, uh, Declan, um, who's a fantastic, um, like a behavioral 
um, psychology professional. Uh, so many good people. Shelly from My Millennial Money. So many great acts uh, coming up in Newcastle before the big event, the big roast in Sydney on the 3rd of October. We're also hosting a Value Investors workshop, which is something I haven't done for three years, Drew. And Mel was like, well, you're in Sydney. Let's give it a crack. So I'm going to do a day-long intensive session for anyone that is not an absolute beginner investor, but you want to actually understand how to value companies, how to assess management, how to properly interpret financial statements, avoid risks, and how to invest um, in like fast-growing companies, basically. Uh, we're going to cover all that. And Magellan is going to be our host. So we are hosting the Value Investing Workshop, an eight-hour intensive session with me maximum 15 people, probably more like 10 people in Sydney, the day after the event in Sydney. So this is on Wednesday, the 4th of October. Um, if you come along to the event, you get about $600 worth of goodies, uh, which include uh, passes to the Sydney event, the roadshow. You get merch, you get books, um, you get a membership through RASC. And uh, we're also going to quiz a fund manager live on the day. So it's going to be heaps of fun. You get to network. There'll be a link in the show notes saying Value Investor Workshop. It's 799 bucks. And we actually did get a question through this week from Simon who asked, he's interested in coming to it, but would it be tax deductible? And Drew and I were both trying to figure out if an eight-hour session to a value investing workshop, which, quote, focuses on income, end quote, would be tax deductible. I feel like this is one of those gray areas where – if you have a deductible expense, it has to be in the pursuit of more income. That's my exactly. Answer. Yeah, for it, for an expense to be deductible, it has to be a, a helping you produce more accessible income, yeah. uh, and that would be generally in your personal name or in your, you know, to deduct in your personal name, you want the, the income in your personal name. So I think, I mean, people pay for subscriptions or trading programs and claim yeah. tax deductions, but I think it's very. I don't know if there's a hard line that says this isn't. This is this, is, this mm. isn't. Lots well, interpretation by your accountant and yourself. So maybe just check with your accountant if you are interested in coming to that event. Um, I know a lot of people do go ahead and claim our value investor program, which is the online version. Um, they are always writing in asking for tax receipts. Um, but yeah, just check it out. I know last time I did one of these sessions in Sydney, we sold out with about 20 people. This was before COVID. And a lot of people in the room were actually portfolio managers or analysts. It was really surprised me, actually. I was there teaching value investing. Um this kid from the block and uh, the fund managers <laughs> were rocking up uh, and they were using as their bosses paid for it or they did it as CPD. So um, come along, Sydney. Is only, I'm only going to do one this year because it takes a lot of, it actually takes a lot out of me to do them. But um, it's a great day. I love to network. I actually ended up hiring an analyst from this program as well. And I know a couple of others actually got job in industry. So there's that. Um, the other thing was I did a survey during the week, Drew, um, ahead of a launch of something that we're working on, which will go live next month. But um, interestingly, I'm going to throw some data at you. There was, we're, as of right at this very second that we're recording this, we've had 1,064 people respond to the survey. I thought maybe we'll get a couple hundred. So it's been a lot to go through, and I promise to go through all of the responses. It's not about pizza, is it? It's not about pizza. Um, but this is some of the responses. So I asked people, which was really interesting, we have more people in their 70s that subscribe and listen to us than in their 20s. Now, a lot of people that respond to surveys are probably not in their 20s. They're probably not doing other things. But it gives you a sense of like this audience is a lot older. So we've got to probably reframe our jokes. Like if we have <laughs> – we can't have Taylor Swift maybe on the show. We need to have like 
I don't even know an artist that would be relevant to Rolling someone. Stones. Rolling Stones. There you go. Metallica. The Beatles. The Beatles. Um, yeah. So we've got a lot of people that um, the av- the average age is set. What are all the percentages there? So the, the percentage is oh, I can bring this up on the screen actually. So for anyone that's watching on YouTube, oh, showing you know, um, what the tech? Um, I don't. I'm just figuring this out as we go. But um, yeah, it, we have more people in in their seventies, and the most the biggest bulge bracket for people in the RAS network are in their forties. The in, the next question, which was quite interesting, and by the way, if you haven't filled out this survey, please do me a favor. I would love it if you did. Uh, the link is available in your show notes. But which of these um, best describes your investing focus right now? And I wanted to find out, do people just invest in ETFs? Do they just invest in index funds? And I gave them three choices. And I said, one is you'll only ever invest in ETFs. And about 5% of the audience say they'll only ever invest in ETFs. Someone says that the next group was, I currently invest in ETFs, but I want to go beyond that. That was 16.5% of people say they want to go beyond just ETFs. And 78.5% of people say they already invest beyond ETFs and other things like shares, property, licks, REITs, et cetera, managed funds. So basically, I would assume for the Australian Investors Podcast, Drew, that it would probably be higher than this. I would say it'd be about 90% of people invest in things other than just passive investment. Oh, this is for the whole audience, yep. Yeah, this was just for the newsletter and the membership. Yeah. Um, but anyone that I've opened it up now to anyone who wants to take the survey, um, please, there's a link in your show notes. I would the, the feedback actually does help us design and get better at things. But um, I don't know. I guess that caught me off guard, Drew, because I, I, I just thought maybe two things. I thought the RAS community was younger. I also just thought maybe they, like I knew that they weren't young like equity mates, I assume, or she's on the money community. Um, I assumed it was more like the Motley Fool or Morningstar community, but this is probably older than I thought. So I don't know. I don't know if you, yeah, what do you think? But credit to you. Oh. I mean, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, there's one day in New York, York, and here he goes. <laughs> well, one of the interesting things about the Ritholtz is that how many financial advisors actually listen to their podcast, as well as you know mm. retail investors, which is probably similar to what's you know, similar to what ha- what's happening here. Is that, um, yeah. Not to brag, <laughs> but but I think the the content slips between incredibly detailed and and yeah. more basic high level concepts. So it's the ability to do both, which means I think it's tilting must be skewing the audience. Um, well, yeah, I agree. And you know we we haven't done one of these recently, but a good question to ask in the future would be like, are you a finance professional? And in the past, when we've yeah. done this, over I think it's about six percent of people who listen to this show that we're on right now are finance professionals. So yeah. one in every twenty is working in our industry. But this was the next thing that was quite interesting was this the makeup of portfolios. Um, obviously, we've got about 21, 22% of people who say that their investable portfolio is under 50 grand, but the skew to bigger balances is incredible. Um, so currently across the RAS network, as of August, they did the numbers, we have 173,000 unique listeners. And what was really interesting with this is, so this is only based on about 1,000 responses. Around two, around one percent of the audience has ten million dollars of more to invest right now. Um, nearly ten percent are between that two point five mil and ten mil, um, and then at fourteen percent for one to two and a half, fourteen percent for five hundred thousand to a million, 
15% or 14% for 250 to 500K. And so this is excluding people's primary residence. I made that very clear in the survey, but it actually skews to quite large balances. And the average balance, the mean average balance is around about 640,000, um, excluding that 10 million, because you never know who puts in 10 mil. They might have 10 bucks and they put in 10 mil. It could be in crypto. You never know. <laughs> yeah, just a couple of lords. <laughs> 10, mil, 10 mil. Yeah, but I don't know. This it's all this information um, kind of caught me off it's guard. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for us, it is. Maybe everyone listening is like, "What the hell are you guys talking about?" <laughs> there was a couple of people. Um, so even though we have a very small sample size under thirty, because our audience isn't that young, I'm sure if Kate did this on the finance podcast, there would be a bigger audience in the younger bracket. But. Um, a few of them have either received inheritances or um, have come into money or made a lot of money, and around three percent have over or report as having two point five million dollars in investable assets. That's for under thirties. So there are some really young people that have come into a lot of money, and that's a lot of responsibility for folks. So make sure you get the right advice. But um, one final thing that I'll throw out is. Um, the, the preferences of people, Drew. So I'll see if I can get this up for you on the screen as well. Um, that's not it. And I don't have it in front of me. But basically the preference is, and this will be really relevant to you, obviously, as a financial advisor who specializes in retirement, mate. The number one thing, obviously, on people's mind is retirement um, at around 30. It was about 36%, I think, off the top of my head. But then the next most important thing is this idea of financial independence. Now, this idea is really big, but the FIRE community, which we know only appeals to around 2.2% of people, investing for kids was about five times more common, commonly mentioned as a goal, so whether it's grandkids or kids, and uh, passive income was around 20% of the audience. That's the number one reason they're investing. So what it basically means is like retirement is obviously the number one goal, so you're in the right place for that, um, but then I would say passive income is the next most important thing. So anyway, that's that, very, very closely related to passive income and retirement. Oh, absolutely. And they're all intertwined, aren't they? Like if, you, if you're going for retirement, well, you want passive income. So I just thought, yeah, it was, um, it was a really interesting um, survey. And if you haven't already taken it, all the results are made public. So you can, you can jump in there and have a look. But uh, yeah, I just thought it was really interesting, mate, because what it tells me is that our audience is very, very sophisticated and it also tells me, actually, here's a fun one for you. 270 people from Sydney took the um, took the survey, but we haven't sold 270 tickets. So if you're <laughs> listening to this, get to Sydney, get to the event in Sydney where we're all going to be, and we would love to meet you. It's only 40 How bucks many tickets for a ticket. have you sold? Sydney's actually underperformed what I thought I would, but we've sold about 170 so far. Um, keep in mind- I love a crowd, so- yeah, Drew's <laughs> upstairs <laughs> sweating. <laughs> is, that a Love crowd. is that a see-through shirt, Drew? It was. Oh, no, it's white. Um, but seriously, um, Sydney's going to be big because obviously there'll be the two of us. Jamie will be there. Um, there's going to be so many great guests. Obviously, Kate, we're going to have Queenie. We're going to have the team from Perla. Um, we've got Chris Bates, Pete Wargen, Amy Lenardi, um, Evan Lucas. Uh, we've got Global X. We've got Magellan there. Such a great crowd. So please come along to that if you're in town and uh, bring your friends, bring your family. Use the coupon code FRIENDS, plural friends, because you'll get a, you'll get like 33% off this, 
the tickets. So some people have bought like five tickets. So maybe there are more than 170 sold. I don't know. But anyway, I've got some hypotheticals, Drew, for you before we get into uh, the question, the actual questions from the I folks. Prep these at all though, so be be warned. Okay, here we go. So um, three things you have learned in LA or like in your on your junket in America. What are the three things that you have learned so far? Three things, three things. Uh, I think that the US is incredibly focused in financial services on the client or the user experience, significantly mm-hmm. more than Australia and a lot more progressed. progressed. Yep. You know, like to the point of what happens, I think you do it quite a lot, not just in your podcast, but on your website and everything. What happens when you click this? What, what's the experience of going through this process and when you join and, and the part of that's automation, part of that's experience. So that was probably one of the big takeaways. There's a lot of talk about that. For sure. Um, I've got a funny one in there. Uh, Texas has has a product or an outcome for everyone. So there was Texas ETFs and they just issued Texas only ETFs. So diversified <laughs> Texas Texan companies. <laughs> that was, uh, I got a really, actually I can have a fourth. I've got to pull up a third one. First. Yeah, go for it. Uh, I think in terms of, so we've talked about direct indexing before, um, which in hindsight is quite similar to our own managed accounts, if you know how managed accounts work. Mm-hmm. So managed discretionary accounts offer an advisor or, or a professional investor the ability to have discretion over how they build and manage a portfolio for you. Um, what's popular here is saying, I want the S&P, but I don't want Apple, or I want the S&P, I don't want oil. And they call that direct indexing or true indexing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they that's super fast to, growing. That's about 400. I think it's $460 billion in direct indexing yeah. in the United States. Yeah. And, and by the way, yeah. And by the way, um, Texas has a uh, higher GDP than Australia. So yeah. I just had to they, they, that. Were, they told us that. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's this SMA versus ETF thing. So SMAs being like fund of funds or, you know, the way we look at them as multi-manager almost. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of ETF issuance over here. So instead of launching any, an SMA, some financial advice groups launching ETFs. I think that's where it's going to go, right? Like if you have a really good S... So just so people know, an SMA is like if you go to a financial advisor and they put together a portfolio for you, um, that portfolio is still in your name, but so you control it. You have you have ownership of the underlying assets, whereas when you invest in an ETF, you just get the units. So the ETF manager controls what happens inside it. Similar to the financial advisor, but the difference is that you own the underlying assets in an SMA. Yeah. Um, and that means that it's better for tax reasons. And but um, direct indexing is the same, that you can control the tax implications, whereas an ETF, a fund, everything else, it's just a pass-through entity. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the last one was basically okay. I, I, I didn't realise how humid it was in California and I wore chinos <laughs> and a shirt to the beach. Um, that's, that's the final lesson. I can... <laughs> Don't wear yeah. chinos. Don't wear chinos and a shirt to the beach in humidity. <laughs> I chose white at least. So, okay. So Texas has. Some, let's just recap these. Texas has something for everything. Uh, user experience is much more important to financial people in the United States. Um, the other one was S, uh, direct indexing is really really important. And don't wear chinos on the beach. <laughs> okay, got it. That's some pretty good insights. And I think especially on that user experiencing. Let's just be honest. A lot of the financial advice world in Australia is just so clapped out and old-looking and functionally depleted. Um, even the platforms themselves aren't accessible to individual investors as easily as they should be. The regulation in Australia makes it so hard for tech companies to innovate in our space. Um, and that's been a huge problem since the get-go. Um, and that's why this 
a lot. I mean, that's why I have a, a gripe with innovation, uh, with regulation in our sector. I think it's good, but I also think it just means it's almost impossible to innovate uh, and incumbents win. So the second hypothetical for you, Mr. Uh, Derrimuth, is I want to know what your biggest ever winner is, but also what you learned from that. Biggest, uh, I think, it, did we talk about the trade desk last time? Can yeah. I go over, I mean, I, yeah, you yeah. could say Fang, but that was only 100% in only. 10 months. So, yeah, it's yeah. not quite up there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the business, I mean, if you talk about winners, it'd be the bar, but I don't think we want to do private markets. Um, yeah. There's no valuation on that. It just spits out income. So, this um, is the bar that the Drew and Jamie and a few other folks own in Melbourne called Beneath Driver Lane. Get there. Good whiskey. Go on. That's yeah, an example of where you're basically you're getting twice your investment back every year that'd be you know if you whether you can value that income stream or not it's another story yeah um but trade desk yeah (laughs) (laughs) you can discount anything can't you Crypto-ize anything start selling off shares uh trade desk so i did i think i mentioned this in a couple of the roadshow sessions um with a gag on how i got that uh white lotus shirt yep <laughs> trade desk does programmatic advertising so you know middle-aged white man that watches white lotus scrolling instagram and they send me an ad that has a cool shirt in it that i don't realize will take eight months to do, to get delivered um <laughs> i think i'm up six seven hundred percent on that so it's nothing you know it's not pilbara or csl yeah uh or anything um i mean there's Still probably a couple good. lessons yeah yeah position site like you sh- could have gone harder and then sometimes compounding and you know it sold off pretty heavily in COVID but it's still doing pretty well since um, don't you know reminds you not to sell your good stuff mm-hmm. um, always mm-hmm. have patience because at some point you want to start you think about selling off even people you know even so-called <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't say air quotes professionals <laughs> I've never done that before uh, <laughs> professional investors get, get the same tendency to say you know, yeah. particularly with my own money oh I need to, you know, protect the bottom here, uh, but didn't. So, you know, sticking through the volatility and holding on to companies, and if they're good companies, letting them continue compounding. Mm, that's a good lesson to learn. Um, and yours? I might do mine. I'll do mine after this because they're actually very much related. So, so your biggest winner is the trade desk, which is programmatic advertising, helping put ads on websites in your Netflix, in your i apple tv whatever like where you got connected tv they put ads on there and on your podcast too by the way like a platform Uh, that allows you to allows advertisers to pick and choose so it's more transparent i think yeah and it's programmatic meaning that it automatically chooses the the most cost effective place to serve ads um okay so if that was your biggest winner being the trade desk what is your biggest loser uh, we mentioned, I think we did this one a week or two ago. There's a couple. <laughs> We've all had a few. There was Forge Group. Or, Forge Group uh, that went out of business. We discussed yeah. this on, yeah, yeah. on the finance podcast, maybe. Maybe, um, yeah. Yeah, it was an engineering company in a reasonably good market for engineering, uh, but bought and within um, three weeks, the contract, fixed price contracts had run completely over to the point that all the equity in the company was wiped out and mm. they went into administration. Mm. And that was like a lesson that, you know, as much due diligence as you can do into the financial statements of a listed company, there can always be something. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lesson. I mean, applied more to clients is you just don't step outside the highly researched. You know, if there's two or three analysts, it's not enough. You want eight or 10 analysts if you're looking, if you're looking for this kind of retirement uh, quality, mm. boring, diversified cash flow. 
Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. There's actually a question on that. But uh, my biggest winner, so Prometicus and all that have been, and Apple and all those types of businesses have made me the most money. But this was really interesting. I wrote about this years ago when I was back working for the Molly Fool. I wrote about a company called LNG Limited. Liquefied Natural Gas Limited was the company. The ticker symbol was LNG. Who would have guessed it? Um, and this company was creating a port, like a port in uh, America, actually. And what it was doing is it would take the, the gas and make it liquefied natural gas. And then it would be in this port or terminal. It would then take that onto a ship, put that on a ship, and it would go to Asia or wherever they were selling the, the gas. Um, and interestingly, so this business um, was trading about 29 cents when I came across it. And within about 10 months, it got to five bucks. And so I only put about two... In a two to two thousand two thousand five hundred bucks into this thing early days for myself, and um, it got to twenty five grand or thereabouts in ten months, and so it was a huge winner for me early on in my investing. Um, and I sold a fair bit, like I sold a fair bit at five, and then I sold a fair bit about four, and I got out later. That company went bust. I've heard stories of folks who have lost a couple hundred grand trying to think that this thing might turn around. But what was really interesting is like. Seth Klarman's business got involved in it and so many other investors got involved in it and it hadn't even got off the ground yet. The reason why it went crazy is because this is at the time when LNG was all this, the rage about the world of energy, solving the energy crisis and all this sort of stuff. Um, but what happened is Chenier Energy, which some people listening to this would know, Chenier Energy in the United States um, was just going gangbusters. And then people were like, well, what's the next thing that is like an infrastructure kind of play that's positioned to benefit from this huge rush? And it was this business. So international investors got involved in it. And anyway, I remember catching up with someone who did lose a bit of money in this company a few years later. And he attended and spoke to management and said, you know, how are things going, blah, 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 blah. And they were great. They're saying it's fantastic. Everything's fine. We're on track to make this project work. And so he tipped in more money. And then within six weeks, it filed for a bankruptcy. Um, yeah. And the lesson for me from this was that um, luck can play a big role in your investing and you don't realize. And uh, for me in particular, I was just completely lucky. This was a 100% speculative investment. I didn't know there was no other than knowing what the business does and some of the competitors and who's done what in the industry. The only reason the share price went up was because other investors piled in thinking that it could be the next big thing. Uh, there was no skill really beyond that. Um, and then this actually, that was my biggest winner. And it basically taught me the value of being humble on the way up. But on the way down, I actually took all of that money and I started buying warrants. Um, and I ended up buying warrants. So warrants are like options contracts, if people are familiar, except they're leverage. They've got embedded leverage in them. So you might buy like one warrant and it's got exposure to say 50 Rio Tinto shares or something. Telstra was issued that way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is what I did. Um, and I put all of my money basically into Rio Tinto and QBE warrants. And within five months, I'd lost all the money. Sorry, just laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and so this was just an example of, I so I wasn't humble enough on the way up and I thought, well, I could take more risk for more return and see what I could actually do here. And on the way down, I got into things that I just couldn't understand and I just got like way ahead of myself and I just lost it all basically. Um, and it was a really roller coaster of a ride. And 
I think the big lesson for me is the importance of kind of like knowing your emotions and keeping yourself in check as best you possibly can. Um, and that was one of the lessons. Okay. So this week, uh, we've got a few questions sent through. We'll try and uh, scoot through them, Drew, because I know you got to get to dinner over there in NYC. It never sleeps that city, but I know you got to get to dinner. Um, I try to. We I do call for your questions. There is a link in your podcast player that says ask a question, select the Australian Investors Podcast. It's really that simple uh, and we'll give a crack at your question. We can only answer generally speaking and that's why we always call for a funny name when you send your uh, question in and every week we award the funniest question a name a prize which is the value investor program on rask education 700 700 dollar a dues oh no so 500 dollars. sorry nowadays for you for free uh if you just write into us if your if your question is named number one see a financial advisor like say drew here if you uh need professional advice um and that would be a great idea the first question actually was actually a text that i sent through to you this morning drew uh, i'm just going to try and get it up on my phone really quickly but basically, the question was along the lines of, here it is. Uh, it was from Nathan who sent in a question. Not a very creative name, Nathan, but that's okay, mate. Will won't hold that against you. Uh, Nathan uh, sent in a question that said, Hi, Rash team. A question for the Australian Investors Podcast. In a recent podcast, Drew mentioned that in their equities portfolios at Waddle, they use direct equities for their Australian equity exposure. Could Drew elaborate on this and also touch on the benefits? Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Nathan. That's a great question. Why do you, instead of using, say, like ETFs or managed funds or this, why do you have individual shares in the portfolio for Waddle clients? There's a few few reasons, and the normal answer is it depends. Oh, gosh. Um, a few laughter. Good. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I have a laugh button today. I mean, one, one is it does depend on the risk profile of the person. Uh, and in our experience, a lot of people actually come with direct share portfolios when they come to us. So most retirees have, have built shares, got an SMSF already, so they're already holding these things. Right. Um, and one part is it's incredibly difficult to convince people to, to give up on that and, and sell all of that and go into ETFs or funds that are kind of non-impersonal, if that makes sense. We like to bring yep. some less personal connection. Uh, so one is just the incumbency of those holdings, but two, incredibly cheap, like, you know, investing in stocks directly you're not paying a management fee whether that's to an etf or or a fund more broadly um and you can control where your exposures sit uh in referring to the first part you can control your tax position at the same time so if you're you know mm. your csl weightings overweight you're not forced to rebalance it during a financial year you can always wait and do it in the next fund you can control the cgt uh events mm. and point. then yeah manage we think for for a lot of clients where they're comfortable with that high level of volatility, you can replicate the ASX because it's an even replicate in a slightly better way um, by doing it directly. So we try and have 15 to 20 equally weighted holdings that don't go outside the ASX 200. Uh, and you have a similar exposure to financials, but it's more diversified than the benchmark and similar exposure to, to materials, but it's more diversified, mm. which has its ups and downs. So if you think active share, which is how different, our portfolios would be from the index, it'd be significant um, and just equally weighting versus the index, which is market cap weighted, means you have a completely different outcome. Um, and mm. it's tended to, yeah, I think equal weighting tended to work pretty well mm, for the last five or 10 years. Um, and it, it, that's a really good point you touch on is that you deal with clients one-on-one. -on -one. So like everyone's portfolio is a little bit different, even though they might be like the general model that you guys follow in research with the team. But um, that's really important because you might have someone that's done really well with Combank, CSL, BHP over the last 30 years. 
they've got half a million dollars in those three shares. Why would you go and sell them straight away if there's no reason to might incur like tax or whatever? Um, but also if you have the larger balances, which a lot of the Waddle Partners clients have, you know, three, five, 10, $20 million, um, it would make sense that you have a direct equities portfolio because it may even be cheaper once tax and fees is taken into account too. Obviously, it's a bit more work on your end, but um, how do you go about, so if you do run a direct equities portfolio, how do you go about finding the companies? Just generally speaking, obviously, we could spend an entire podcast on this, but just what are the kind of things that you're looking for? You're going, we say, I mean, uh, we had a similar question on the roadshow, which is given what our intentions are, which is we see our exposure to Australia versus global as being income focused mm-hmm. and kind of back, you know, his, call it cyclical or value. So looking for cheaper companies, and that's just the nature of the Australian economy. I know you found some good growth companies in Australia, but they're a lot rare, a lot more rare and tend yeah. to be a lot more expensive in Australia. So that naturally goes towards more of the old fashioned businesses in Australia. We don't, we barely stray outside the ASX 100 um, and rely on heaps of research. But basically, we just want companies that are, like anyone, consistently growing earnings um, and and less cyclical. Yeah, that makes and a lot of sense. We don't have like a fix. We want 4% dividend yield or higher. Um, we're probably more wary of ensuring we have a, at least one and a maximum of, say, three exposures to any sector. So making sure you've got good economic diversification in your portfolio. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and to be honest, it, it, yeah, it, like I said, it does make more sense. The bigger the balances um, to, and then more individual the clientele to do that. So um, I'm actually going to uh, go to the next question now. That's a good question from Nathan. Thanks for writing into us, Nathan. Uh, don't forget you can use the, the link in your podcast player rather than sending an email. So Over the Hedge writes in and says, Stella Yarn last Saturday, the pod about hedging, was not something I had really considered. I liked Drew's comment regarding having portfolios that perform in any market scenario. Could you expand on that? There's a lot of people saying, um, can you expand on certain things, Drew? Um, and, and if I've got a few decades till I retire, should I be concerned about the current weakness of the dollar in the short term? Now, just to, over the hedge, obviously, we don't know your personal circumstances. But just generally speaking, Drew, you did say about having portfolios that can perform in any environment. First of all, can you tell me what that means and second of all how do you think about currency and then i'll have a bit of a yarn as well i'll try i'm under pressure today little little preparation uh but i mean there's something that's close to our heart and i think part of this comes back that we focus on retirement so you got a finite pool of capital you want to make sure that if the consensus say everyone's expecting recession is wrong you're not going to be worse off as a result and we found that you know the consensus we read the papers and we all assume that what the papers are saying is true, that we'll have a recession, that unemployment will go up, the property market will crash, and we assume that's true. Uh, but there's a multitude of potential outcomes. And what we're saying, um, you know, an example could be there's a prediction that if, uh, if you say interest rates will go higher, interest rates will stay where they are, and interest rates will fall, different assets will perform incredibly differently in each of those environments. And we want to have a reasonable bet in each camp uh, to make sure our clients aren't expo- overexposed to one or 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 um, not exposed to one at all. And, and a lot of this comes down to actually uh, understanding what holdings, what your investments are actually most, uh, vol- uh, what's it called, not volatile, most correlated to. So like no one at all in the last um, two or three years, I mean, a lot of people had a lot of growth companies in their portfolio or a lot of low, you know, global growth funds or global growth ETFs or, or 
thematic ETFs, and the biggest influence of, on the on the value of tech and growth companies was bond yields. And bond yields were at a you know zero to one percent. Now they're at four to five percent. That's one of one of been one of the big key drivers of growth stocks and tech companies falling off significantly. That was a long answer. Oh, I like it because while, while you're doing while you're doing that, I was actually. I was actually just doing some numbers, which are going to answer the next question. How's this? Uh, just doing some quantitative stuff on the fly here at the Australian Investors Podcast. But yeah, we were reviewing this, and I've been reviewing this a lot lately um, around currency hedging. And uh, one of the things we spoke about was um, currency hedging is actually one of those areas where it's kind of like there's like this void that sits between all this logic and reason here in Australia, and then you go through this void where it's just like this big cloud of unknown guesswork and then on the other side you've got foreign markets and people yeah. like venture through and then they come out the other side they're like i don't know i just kind of made it through um and so like everyone has a different policy when it comes to hedging right like we we did just a bit of googling before this and we found that like first for the australian super fund they basically have a set amount of that portfolio that is allowed to be exposed to a foreign currency um, so, for example, in their balance strategy, they allow 20.5% of that portfolio to be exposed to foreign currencies. And you made the point before that um, uh, off air to me that, say, Australian Super has a 60-40 portfolio. If they're saying that 20% of their portfolio is allowed to be exposed to foreign currency, that's probably around about half of that 60-40. Yeah. You know? So, they're basically cutting in half their overseas exposure, so half hedged, half unhedged which is a pretty simple way to look at it. And then the future fund in their currency um, note, this is from 2021, it says, we explicitly manage the size and composition of the currency exposures in the portfolio rather than them uh, being shaped by the underlying investments. So they actually take an active stance on currency. As at June 30th, 2021, we held an exposure to foreign developed market currencies equivalent to 32%. So basically what both of them are saying the big um, capital allocators in the room are basically saying about 20 to 30% of our portfolio is exposed to foreign currencies. Yeah. Um, and that's maybe a yardstick that other people can take. But then there was one other, um, which is what I know we were spe speaking about off air. When you take the full Australian dollar over the long term, um, it is smashing right through that lower bound on the kind of two, two standard deviations. So if you are thinking about currency, now is the time to think about it. But I did do some number crunching early on, and we did have a quick look at this. The The mean, the like the average level for the Australian dollar since the year 2000 until today is 77 cents. We are currently at 64 cents. So we are quite a way away from the average. Um, there have been times when it's been above parity, like it's been over $1. One, yeah, 120 at some point. Yeah, so it swing. It can swing around wildly, but at the moment, it would seem kind of the opposite is true for us. That um, now we're at a point where maybe the odds are t tilting back the other way. Do you? It, can, it trends a lot, though. That's I mean, that's why the the rule isn't perfect, but it is an incredibly good trigger to review and start uh, thinking about uh, doing something about. It. And that could just be you know, if we're making a change in our next quarterly review it might be that we the next edition is a hedged global equity or a hedged s p 500 etf rather than you know topping up the 
the SP500 ETF that's underweight, if that makes sense. Not that they're yeah. we're recommending that, but it could just be the incremental change. Um, and you've naturally got an issue. If you've done incredibly well in in you know unhedged as the dollar's fallen, well, you've probably got a capital gain you have to worry about too. Yeah, yeah, and I think for accumulators, that's the big challenge, right? In a retirees portfolio, zero tax environment, you might be like, well, okay, yeah, we'll just switch across. But it's basically, as you said, uh, those incremental dollars you might start swapping across now. You do pay extra for hedged products, by the way. For example, you mentioned the S&P 500. The iShares one is the most common one. That's um, IVV. That's about 0.04% in management fees. You go to the hedged version, it's about 0.1. So more than double the fee load, even though it's still very small, very, very small, um, you pay more. Um, so there was an interesting question that came through next from um, Akfil Sikdal. Um, so <laughs> no, don't, don't do the Phil one. Okay. Never do a name that starts with Phil. Okay, never <laughs> There's one rule in life. If your name starts with Phil, don't use your name when you write into us because <laughs> your question won't get your question and name won't get read out. But Phil, yours um, might come up soon. Um, anyway, Ark Phil, Ark Phil, Ark Phil Sickdale. Yeah. Okay. So Ark Phil says, just wondering what is happen, happening with RPM Global. Uh, ticker symbol R U L. It has fallen 7% this month following good results. Thanks, lads. Uh, so while Drew was talking about currency and portfolio positioning and all that sort of stuff, I was just doing a quick um, jump into my old, uh, I'm going to rename this sheet RPM Global. And I was doing this on the fly. So this is what I've come up with. I've just got some data and anyone watching this can see it on YouTube. If you haven't already subscribed to us YouTube, get on it. Um, I actually pulled up the share price of RPM Global since January 1st. 2015 and i got the daily share prices and i was trying to figure out how many times has rpm global risen more than five percent or fallen more than five percent it has fallen more than five percent 75 times in that time and it has risen more than five percent 68 times so if we're just thinking about a small or mid-sized Australian technology company, very impressive company, growing pretty well, um, what it basically says is strap in because <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> this is small cap investing. That's what I, this is why we, you know, if we're doing for retirees, we'd never stray outside. I mean, this is probably still top 200, but maybe outside just, the 100. Just outside, just outside yeah. the 200, I think. Yeah. That's just the, the, it's incredibly difficult to get an edge and you have to be comfortable with this huge level of volatility. Um, and it can be more difficult to make decisions if you, unless you're, you know, you're truly in it for the long term and then the benefits can be there. Yeah. I'd love to have um, Richard Matthews, who's the CEO of this company on the show, be really insightful. So I might reach out to him. Um, but yeah, I mean, that just gives you an illustration and you can see it in the share price chart. RPM Global, which is selling software to mining companies, a really impressive company, good founder alignment, own operator alignment. Um, it shows you that in order to invest in companies that are really impressive, you have to take maximum volatility basically. And so this, the company's share price has risen from 34 cents in 2016 up to what it is now. It's about $1.60. So it's like a... For folks that have held it for that long, it's you know six bagger. But um, what's what's really interesting is I was doing some reading the other day. Lachlan Bird Jensen, who I know you know, sent in an article to us the other day, and he found out that Apple is one of the best performing companies over the past thirty years, no doubt. 
um, created the, I think, the second or third most value of any company in the world over the past 25 years. But in that time, it has had three 70% drawdowns. So a company that is probably the best performing in the world has had three moments in its history where it has fallen from its high of more than 70%. And this is not a rule that holds true for every company. Like don't just go out and pick the company that's fallen the most and think that's a good investment. But it is true that if you want to make money in this world, you have to take risk. And I think what, what what's the old saying from Hans Rosling? Things can be bad and getting better. So things can seem bad at the moment, but they can be longer term getting better. And I think that's a great phrase for describing this style of investing. All right, Drew, we've got a couple more minutes. Uh, I'm just going to answer these. Uh, we're going to get to these questions really quickly. So Ticker Mielmo says, uh, what are the pros and cons of using simply Wall Street over Ticket? That's T-I-K-R. Uh, what would be your preferred software other than Ticker? Best free software in your opinion? Sorry for the tight ass question. Going through the Value Investor Program currently, loving it, but can't spare the extra cash just yet for Ticker. Um, so Ticker is a is a tool that costs about $20 US a month, um, and it gives you financial data on about 100,000 companies. So you can get like, it even does all the segment data. So different segments within a business, it gives you ratios, analyst forecasts, transcripts, all that sort of stuff. I think it's the best software you can get. And it's only about 20 bucks. There is a free option for this, Ticker Me Elmo. So there is a free option. Um, Simply Wall Street is an Australian company um, built by Al and the team up in Sydney. Uh, it's a great platform. It's more focused on, I would say, newer investors, whereas tickers for more people that are really like serious about their long-term investing. Both great, um, but I would choose ticker for that type of investing. If you're just getting into it, you want to understand more, you can check out Simply Wall Street. I've but definitely preferred ticker. I've tried tried both. I think Simply Wall Street has a 12-month subscription too. Yeah. It just gets a bit too – it's very algo and kind of – yeah. You know, not gamified, but um, and it, Ticker yeah. definitely pure data and easy to navigate. Yeah, I love Ticker. Um, but uh, Market Index is what I use for announcements. That's just marketindex.com.au. Morningstar, you can get great analyst insights. It's got data as well. There's another one called Coifin, K-O-Y-F-I-N. Another great one for charts and that type of thing. Um, yeah, and I think if you if you if your brokerage account like Selfwealth, if you if you use Selfwealth, they have a lot of fundamental company data in there as well. So you can go in and even if you just create a free account with Selfwealth, for example, uh, you can go in and use that. So Phil writes in and says, uh, and maybe oh, it's pretty much the same one, but um, Phil writes in and says there was a second one there, uh, second there was a surname, <laughs> but we won't read that one out. If I believe the Australian dollar is nearing its bottom. Um, against the US dollar, what stocks or ETFs can I buy so I profit when the Australian dollar does head higher and returns to 70 cents and above? Uh, again, kind of what we just said, you probably think about it at portfolio level, Drew. Yeah, we, we tend to think about it. Uh, basically, you're trying to find things that have hedged their currency risk and aren't unhedged. You're probably more worried about avoiding the things that have fallen mm -hmm. significantly or what's going to benefit from a higher Australian dollar. Mm. That's generally people that are importing as well. If you think about import versus export yeah. businesses, yeah. Um, export, yeah, I think, I, I think yeah. loosely, yeah. sector-wise, um, and we'd always yeah try to take. It's more about how do you for us how do you minimise the mistake and the risk of that less less so on trying to profit specifically from sectors because as we know sectors can have idiosyncratic risks as well oh, what a word um they can indeed but <laughs> I um, used that in a meeting today too that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably acceptable in a finance meeting um oh yeah um 
hedged ETFs you can use, which we've mentioned. You might, if you're thinking about things like gold, you might go the hedged option versus the unhedged option. Um, we talked about currency frameworks just before. But one thing to keep in mind too is if you're investing in US companies, US companies earn money outside of the United States. So what that means is, I think we mentioned a couple of weeks ago about double whammies, and I said how if you invest in US companies and that share price falls, and then the Australian dollar falls, well, you're a two-time loser. Well, it actually, it's not always true because what can happen to some US companies is actually when they have a very strong US dollar, it actually weakens their earnings. So when the US dollar falls, they earn overseas, which improves their US dollar earnings. So you can actually offset some of that. And so um, companies like, for example, Starbucks, um, companies like Nike, Apple, these types of businesses earn a lot of their revenue outside the United States. So they are cushioned a little bit from it. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. And um, I would just say like all currencies around the world just about have weakened against the US dollar because the US dollar has such high interest rates. Um, so you what? Sorry, go on. It would depend on what's driving the Australian dollar resilience. That also came to my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, if the Australian dollar is recovering, it's probably because their interest rates have gone higher or US have cut their interest rates or it's probably because of China. And that probably tells you more of the story as well. Yeah. And you can um, repatriate some of your um, US dollars back to Australia and just start investing domestically again for a little while. That's actually a really good idea. Just be aware of fees and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so maybe we'll go these last two questions really quickly. Um, so this one's from supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. It says, I'm 21. I've been investing since I was 18. That's pretty awesome. I live in a low socioeconomic town in New South Wales. I have a few friends from school I still socialize with. They're great friends, but I try to distance myself from them as I do not as they do not align with my goals, beliefs, or values. They are not good with their money, and they often don't like to talk about savings or other strategies like investing. Most don't even have savings at all. They would rather spend it on nights out. I've become very passionate about investing in ETFs and the psychology around money. I crave stimulating conversations, which I can't seem to find with anyone my age in my area. Without my dad's help, I wouldn't have the motivation to keep on investing. So how can I keep this drive alive without being influenced by my friends around me? It's a bloody good question, Drew. It's a fantastic question. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. And you started earlier than I did and probably earlier than you did too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I just think, you know, there's those old cliches, I'm the average of the five, the five people closest to me, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the fact is you've actually made a decision to consciously look outside of your peer group. Um, I was in a very similar situation. None of my family, none of my friends, no one that I knew personally really was interested in this stuff, except for actually one mate who eventually went down this path with me. But um, it took many years. And um, now they're all in their 30s. Now they're all coming asking the question. Um, so this investing thing, should I start? Uh, well, I've been saying it for 15 years, mate. Um, Don't be that guy. <laughs> no, but seriously, like it's great when anyone comes at any age to have a conversation. Well, you're doing a great thing, I'd say, by listening to us. There are plenty of other good podcasts like Equity Mates, uh, My Millennial Money, some of the US podcasts, but they won't really help you build community. You can come to our Sydney event, which I'd highly encourage you to do if you're in New South Wales. We're also in Port Macquarie. We'll be in um, Newcastle. So try and make the commute. The only reason that we do the events, get this, is so we can build community. There's no other reason. I can tell you why these events don't make money. So, um, so, there's, so there's that. Um, but you can also join some online groups. 
Uh, like say Equity Mates is a really good one. Just keep singling them out. But Equity Mates is a really good one. You can jump on Twitter. Twitter is a great place. If you want to work in the industry, jump on LinkedIn and start just commenting on what people are saying. Um, you'd be surprised. And finally, as Steve Sammartino said on the show a few months ago, he said, change places. He had this rule of, if you want to change your life, change the place. And he had this example of, if you want to eat healthy, shop in the fruit and veg department, not in the aisle with all the chocolate. Like cha literally change the place. If you want to speak with people who are healthy, go to where they are. They're probably yeah. at universities or they're probably at business districts or they're probably going to different venues. They're probably not going to the pub on a Saturday, for example. They're probably going somewhere else. So go and find those places and be there. Um, I think it's awesome. I think it's a great thing you're doing. Finally, Drew, last one, which comes from um, Anonymous, too old to be entertaining. They, they've got they, – I'll, I'll – I'll break down. I'm just trying to find a dad joke while we're here too. Okay, you do that. Um <laughs> While you're doing that, there was a person that wrote into us, anonymous, too old to be entertaining, in brackets, said that they have two loans. They have a mortgage on their primary residence, but then they have an investment loan. And they said they phoned their bank a few months ago to see if the standard home loan could have a rate reduction. The answer was, no, sorry, can't get a further reduction, even with the wealth package. And they'd been with this bank for 20 years. Fast forward a few months and phoned again with an offset account inquiry and the fixed rate investment loan had rolled off onto a standard high interest rate. This is where things got interesting. Firstly, the person handling, handling my call looked at our residential loan, went offline to the quote unquote rates team and came back and again said, sorry, no reduction on the 7.85% loan. I thought, bugger, that sucks. Not a great variable rate at all. She then answered my offset question around the investment loan and took that one offline to the quote-unquote rates team. Well, she must have got someone who was having a great day and was far more creative than the first person. She came back and said, I have fantastic news for you. We can lower that one from 6.9% to 6.3%, end quote. And then huge, 0.6% reduction on the loan. She then also asked that person, can we do something for these people with two loans with us um, and a long-term connection on their residential home loan? And they instantly gave us a reduction from that 7.85% loan to 6.05%. I kid you not, I was stunned and very happy. I don't know how one minute for that loan, we were offered nothing and a few minutes later got a 1.8% reduction. It happened. That is... I mean, we're awesome. not all good at asking too. I know there's, you know, mm -hmm. if you go to a restaurant and something happens to your food, some of us just eat the food anyway. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? You have, you have to be that kind of person that's willing to get get no's. But as as the case is, the worst thing that can happen is they say no. Yep. So why absolutely. not? You're not going to be embarrassed. Might be embarrassed for like ten seconds, but just ask. Yeah, well, they can just say no. Really, think about all the things that they could say to you before you get nervous about it, and then just write, think about if it's worth it. Um, I thought this was they go on to say. I thought this was a really important lesson in these times that persistence can pay. So if at first you fail, just try again. We just got lucky because I was calling them to sort out an offset problem. It's a lesson I will remember, and I hope it can help someone else. Love your podcast and ethos. Going to your Newcastle Roadshow with my daughter. Thank you for all that you do to help people on their finance slash life journeys, and good luck to Kate for her book sales. I really enjoy listening to her, who, to her on the Australian Finance Podcast. That is right, folks. Kate's book, Buying Happiness, came out this week. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Buying Happiness, it's out now on Amazon or Booktopia. 
um, check it out. Buying happiness, support Kate. Um, you will see copies flying around in Sydney, no doubt, if you come to the event or Newcastle. Don't forget the roadshow. Don't forget the Waddle Partners retirement event on the 26th of October in Melbourne. It's a free event for anyone over 45 looking to retire, get advice in retirement. Come along. There is a link in the show notes. Check it out. Drew, we've got to leave, folks. You're the director of Waddle Partners Financial Planning. You're helping people all around the country, maybe even the world. You might find a client in New York City. Never know. Never There's know. a few people from Australia here. A few advisors here too. There you go. You? Yeah. So, mate, you need I to take us off into the distance. You need to give us a joke. You need to pep us up right. before we go it off. It feels like it was again. New York appropriate, but who knows? Dad says jokes as usual. Okay, credit. So, five ants rented an apartment with another five ants. Now they're ten ants. Oh, gosh, I'll give you a three out of ten for that one. <laughs> I should say tenants, and then you wouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I was on the fly. I was on the fly. That's well done, mate. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know it's late over there in New York, but it never sleeps. So hopefully, you can get a feed tonight. And uh, we really appreciate you joining us, mate. Good to see you. Good to be here. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Before you go, I wanted to share some things with you. Specifically, I wanted to tell you about the 10 ways that Rask could help you in 2024. As many of you know, Rask has grown to become one of the biggest investing and finance platforms in Australia. Across our podcasts, our websites, our memberships, and so on, we now engage around 200,000 Aussies. Which, considering we started in a humble lounge room on a Kmart desk, one of those old fake white wooden ones, I'm pretty ecstatic about where we are six years later. As part of becoming one of Australia's biggest platforms for wealth creation and preservation, we now have a very special position in the country in that we can bring you some of the best, most thoughtful, expert-driven ways to protect and grow your wealth. And I'm going to share some of those with you now. I've got 10 ways that we can potentially help you or match you with someone who can. The first thing that I want to tell you about is the biggest step we've ever taken at Rask, which is the launch of our Rask Invest platform. This is a platform that lets our team, led by me, invest for you, primarily through low-cost, diversified ETFs. We'll have three strategies at launch, And every investor who comes through can pick one of the three strategies being a balanced strategy, a growth strategy, and a high growth strategy. The balanced strategy focuses on passive income and the high growth strategy focuses on longer term compounding. You will find a link in your podcast player to register your interest. We will be taking off soon. Number two, if you prefer to DIY your investing, you can join me and over 4,000 members inside Rascore. That's our full ETF and ASX share research membership community. You can join now and you'll get updated ETF portfolio recommendations every quarter, as well as ongoing ASX and global stock research. Every single month, we call them the all-star stocks. You get that alongside the ETF portfolios as well as other members-only content. It's called Rascore. Number three, our first ever partnership with a business other than our own was a business by the name of Blusk, which has since become Flint Group. 
Flint Group is led by Chris Bates and Christian Stevens, two of Australia's most highly regarded mortgage brokers. Already over 200 RASC community members have begun the RASC plus Flint Group mortgage broking process. You can click the link in your podcast player if you're refinancing, investing, a first home buyer, or whatever. You've probably heard Chris on the show many times. Number four, you can connect with our most trusted financial advisors. Whether you're 25 years old, just graduated uni and looking to set yourself up or approaching or in retirement and you've got that nest egg you want to protect and generate a passive income from, you can get in contact with our trusted panel of financial advisors. You can find the link in your podcast player. It's there each and every week. Just click the thing that says financial planning. Number five, if you want specialist insurance advice, as Warren Buffett said, rule number one is don't lose money. And rule number two is don't forget rule number one. Insurance is vitally important, especially when it comes to your number one asset, you. Whether you're a single income household or a couple and you just want to protect what would happen if. You want to protect your family if something goes wrong. You want to protect your spouse if you lose your job. You want to protect yourself if you hurt yourself on the weekend at footy. Insurance is a way to do that. And I think the best way to do insurance is through a financial planner. And there's a few reasons for that. But one of them is sometimes some insurers will only work with financial advisors, but they can also be your companion as you go through the sometimes daunting process of getting insurance done properly. Sometimes you might not even know, but you're not even covered, even though you think you are. So get the right advice. You'll find a link in the show notes to check that out. Number six, buying property. If you're like me and you're thinking of buying property in the next 12 months, or maybe you've already invested and you're looking to downsize, getting the right advice and being able to build wealth through property is a proven strategy. It might be one of the most contentious, but I think that we have one of Australia's best property coaches in our ranks. That is Pete Wargent. Pete is the host of the now super popular Australian property podcast by Rask, and he's also my analyst team's macro consultant. So if you're a member of Rascor, you will have seen Pete's name around the traps. He's a property coach and buyer's agent, and he works with a select number of people each and every year. Just a note on this. This is not a commercial thing with Pete. Pete just has great services, so we offer them to the community. And when he fills up, he fills up. You can find out more about Pete's coaching in the show notes. Next up, tracking your portfolio for tax. I think you are because I think you have to. So we've partnered with Nevexa to help you manage your share and ETF reporting, whether it's tax or performance. All RASC users get 20% off an annual plan with Nevexa. You can sync your portfolio with Nevexa's software and it automatically tracks your dividends, your capital gains tax, and more. Again, not a commercial partnership. We don't make anything from working with Nevexa, but they do create some great tools which the RASC community uses each and every day. Number eight, want to run your own business? Maybe you already do. If you want more profit, but less stress, less time consumed, and less energy lost, get in contact. We have a partner business called Inflection. The Inflection Accelerator Program is a complete online course that helps you and a community of members engage and follow a proven strategy for growing your business. I'm grateful to be one of the coaches inside the Accelerator program, helping business owners right across Australia. You can find more following the link in your podcast player. It's the one that says coaching. 
Number nine, if you haven't already checked it out, join over 20,000 other people who tune into the Rask YouTube channel. It is completely free and you get notified when we go live and when we publish podcast episodes. There is a podcast on the Rask network each and every day, as well as bite-sized material that's less than 60 seconds or those really punchy tutorials and webinars that are just 15 minutes that take you through a really exciting topic, whether it's how to buy a property, whether it's how to pick a dividend ETF. Some of our most popular content actually just explains things like, what the heck is franking credits and how do I calculate if I've got some? That's on our YouTube channel. Number 10, if you want to be a better investor, a saver, a better partner with money, or just understand your own relationship with money, you can do that all of that by going to the Rask Education website and taking a free course. We've enrolled over 26,000 students at the time of this recording, and we are on a mission to get to 100,000 in the next few years. Rask Education is our mostly free education platform covering everything from budgeting and automation to the probably, I would say, the best value investing program in the country. So whether you're a value investor an intermediate investor, you want to know how to value Woolworth shares, or you simply just want to understand what ethical investing is or buy your first property and what actually happens on settlement day, head to the Rask Education website and enroll in something today. It is free and it supports us because then I can come on here next month and I can say we've got 27,000 and hopefully we reach critical mass where we can help more Australians manage their money better. Thank you for listening to this long-winded ad If you want to get in contact with me, you know where to go. There's a link in your show notes. Basically, these 10 services, even though some of them we don't make any money from, support Rask and allow us to produce these podcasts, attract the biggest and best guests from Australia and around the world, and bring them to you to answer your questions. Thank you for being part of the Rask Network, and thank you for your ongoing support. Bye for now.